The FT. Welcome to World Weekly. I'm Ben Hall. On the show this week, we'll be looking at the prospects for peace in Syria as world powers gather in Switzerland in an attempt to find a diplomatic solution to the country's three-year civil war. The conflict has cost more than 130,000 lives and has drawn in regional powers who are fighting a vicious proxy sectarian war. The peace conference nearly fell apart before it had even started when the United Nations invited Iran to take part, only to rescind the invitation 24 hours later. Joining me down the line from Cairo is Borzu Daragahi, the FT's Middle East correspondent, and with me in the studio is Rula Khalaf, the FT's foreign editor. Borzu, can I start with you? Um, the negotiations have got underway in Montreux. What are your early impressions? Well, I think it's, uh, it's very inconclusive as to what this conference is going to produce. I think uh, many of the parties are there with different agendas, some there to uh, move towards uh, the removal of Bashar al-Assad, some there to such as Syria, but also Lebanon to solidify the presence of, of the Bashar al-Assad regime. And some uh, uh, just kind of hangers on, you know, for example, Egypt was there, uh, we're not quite sure why, and spent much of his time trying to hobnob with uh, various officials that won't come to Cairo uh, because of the political situation there. Rula, do you detect any hope that there could be progress? I don't think in the short term there can be progress because... Today is essentially just a kind of show to say that, you know, the world cares about Syria and the world wants to find a solution. I think Syrians have been dismayed by the lack of attention and the lack of diplomacy on Syria. And so th this is an attempt by Western governments, but also by supporters of the Syrian regime to say everybody's trying. The problem, of course, is that the two sides who will sit down for the first time around a negotiating table, and that will be later this week, are there for completely different reasons. The opposition is there because they believe that the conference is based on a transition plan, that that's the agenda, is a tr transition plan, which would mean the end of Bashar al-Assad as the ruler of Syria. And the regime is there because this is a platform for them to express their own side of the story, which is that they're fighting terrorism. At this stage, at least, there is no conversions here of what the two sides are supposed to talk about. And we'll have to see, starting on Friday, whether the mere fact of putting them in the same room can bridge some of the differences. And I think nobody's expecting any breakthrough anytime soon. And, of course, some of the parties uh, fighting this war are not present at all. In other words, the jihadi groups who seem to have no interest in any kind of ceasefire, let alone peace. Um, so isn't it just futile to talk in Geneva? Um, I think that there's a recognition that given that there's no military solution to this conflict, you have to start some kind of diplomatic process. You're right. It's not just that the armed groups aren't there. Uh, and the fact that the opposition people who are there don't really represent these armed groups. There's the absence of Iran is also problematic because, yes, Russia can have some influence on the Assad regime. But I think a more important influence would be the Iranian influence. And it would be much better to have them at the conference than outside. Bozu, it was interesting, wasn't it, that Ban Ki-moon, the UN Secretary General, uh, invited Iran, even though Iran hadn't accepted 
the principle of the departure of Bashar al-Assad, the, the Syrian leader. Why do you think he did that? I mean, I think that Ban Ki-moon sees uh, Iran's participation in these talks as vital for their success. Listeners may recall the narrative of how Iran and its proxies managed to attempt uh, to sabotage and contribute to the collapse of peace efforts between Palestinians and Israelis uh, in the 90s. Uh, Iran may not be able to uh, forge a a peace or bring about peace in Syria, but it can certainly uh, contribute to a continuation of the war. And uh, as uh, as Rullah said, you know, it's probably better to have uh, all of the parties, all of the belligerent parties at the table and to alienate some, especially since not only is Iran uh, contributing uh, some of its own ground forces in the form of IRGC advisors uh, and perhaps more to the conflict, it's also uh, backing or at least uh, encouraging the participation of uh, both Hezbollah and the uh, Iraqi Shia militias uh, that are fighting alongside Bashar al-Assad's forces. Ruler, is there any sign that Iran is prepared to distance itself from Bashar al-Assad following the early rapprochement with the United States over Iran's nuclear ambitions? Is there any read across from the warming of relations on that front? Uh, So far, none, I would say. I think that the nuclear talks are very much focused on that dossier and absolutely nothing else. In fact, the Americans have made clear that they don't want to talk about anything else. I think the Iranians have tried to broaden the talks. But I think the American attitude and generally the Western attitude is that if you do that, then you you risk diluting the focus on the nuclear talks. And they don't want to sort of have any bargaining, you know, we'll do this on the nuclear side if you do that on, on Syria or on Lebanon. So So I think the Iranian attitude has not changed when it comes to Syria. The way I see it is that the Iranians see a possible opportunity when the presidential elections uh, take place. They're not really elections. I mean, it's usually just a referendum on Assad. But uh, there are presidential elections scheduled for um, sometime in the spring around June. And so I think they see that as potentially a way to find some kind of transition plan. Uh, Borza, you could understand why the Syrian opposition groups and the Saudis uh, were deeply unhappy at the prospect of the Iranians taking part. But why, why would the Americans and the British and the French react so strongly if the Iranians are so crucial to any diplomatic breakthrough? Well, it was mostly the Americans. I, I think that this has to do to a large extent with the uh, uh, the strained relations between the Obama administration uh, and the, the Saudis. Um, the Saudis are upset. They're upset at uh, the Obama administration's uh, outreach to the uh, Iran on the nuclear issue. Uh, they're upset that uh, Iran seems to be getting a free hand in sending its, its proxies throughout the uh, Levant. Uh, they're upset that the U- U.S. appeared on the verge of uh, bombing uh, Syria over its use of uh, chemical weapons and then uh, uh, move towards diplomacy at some point uh, and, and uh, left uh, the advocates of uh, uh, an armed response somewhat out on a limb. Um, and uh, because of that, I think that the U.S. was sort of backed into a corner where it was forced to accede to Saudi demands on this issue. On the part of the Syrian opposition as well, they're very strained in their relations with the actual people on the ground uh, fighting and uh, trying to survive in Syria. If 
the uh, uh, Syrians were seen to be bucking on the issue of Iran's participation in this talks. I think the Syrian opposition was very worried that it would even further uh, damage relations uh, with their grassroots who are actually in the country. And I think that uh, that contributed to the U.S. Uh, not wanting to undermine the Syrian opposition uh, by allowing Iran to uh, participate in these talks. I would love to hear what Rula has to say about that. Um, I, th- I think that one of the most important elements of these negotiations, actually the most important element, is to be able to have the opposition and the regime in the same place and to begin negotiations. Everybody else is just there for a day and for, for speeches. So if Iran had been at the conference today, then it is likely that the opposition delegation would have withdrawn. And I think that was more important at the end of the day is to have the opposition delegation because without them, you essentially do not have any talks. Let us assume that there is no breakthrough at this meeting in Geneva. What can the West do? I think this conference is perhaps um, far too ambitious in what it's trying to do. It would have been much better to focus it simply on attempts to get a ceasefire, to get humanitarian aid in, which is what Syrians absolutely need at this time. I think by going for a political solution, which everyone knows is not within reach at this time, you might have actually complicated the more modest goals, which would be to find just some way of calming the situation on the ground, even for a limited period of time. But it's quite unusual in situations like this, where you've had three years of civil war, for there not to have been a single ceasefire. There hasn't been a single let up, not for one day. Bozi, do you agree with that? Yeah, I think that getting some sort of humanitarian aid, getting some sort of relief to the uh, uh, people in Syria, that they're suffering so much uh, under this uh, conflict that has ground on now for three years, would have probably been a more uh, doable agenda for this uh, this conference. But I also think that more likely than not, the, the West could have done a better job and still can do a better job of... Uh, properly equipping uh, those rebel groups that more or less reflect some of its values and giving them the tools to uh, surmount uh, both the more extreme elements of the opposition and the regime. I think that's something the West could have done. And, you know, to many people who uh, are sympathetic to the opposition cause, uh, as the West says it is, uh, there's somewhat a bafflement as to why uh, they haven't put their chips on the table, just as the Iranians and the Russians and the Saudis and the Qataris have. I mean, the West has a huge stake in what happens in Syria. So some people ask, why not play the same hardball that those uh, players are playing? I suspect uh, uh, Western diplomats and analysts will be poring over this for for years ahead and, and looking at all the mistakes that they've made over the years. Uh, my thanks to Borzu Daragahi in Cairo and to Rula Khalaf in London. Uh, that's it for this week. World Weekly is produced by Martin Staber. Till next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.